Recovery Elevator, episode 348. As I started to engage with other people in social settings and not drink alcohol and then be able to come home, go to sleep and then wake up feeling well rested and be extremely productive the next day, I was like, wow, I really don't like that feeling of being intoxicated and out of control. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us today. On today's podcast, we've got Carrie. She's 31 years old from Philadelphia and took her last drink on January 2nd, 2021. Listeners, the date of our upcoming Denver event has changed. The new dates are March 31st to April 2nd, 2022. This is a Thursday to a Sunday conference-style event at the Denver Hilton Garden Inn Union Station in downtown Denver, Colorado. This event is all about building that in-person AF community and having fun. Let me expand on that second part a bit more. Quitting drinking can be challenging, to say the least. It can also be filled with a whole palette of human emotions. This weekend will be filled with laughter, joy, authentic conversation, and is basically a celebration of you making the decision to be the best version of you. We're simply there to guide you. We've got all the conference space booked and about half the hotel rooms reserved as well. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash events. There's a link in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. And registration is now open for this event. A couple of episodes ago, I mentioned if there would be any interest for an alcohol-free ukulele 101 course, and we had a great response. So listeners, here's what I'm thinking. Most of our courses take place weeknights, but that makes it tough for those in the EU or other parts of the globe to attend. So I'd like to experiment with a new time. I'm thinking we'll meet Saturdays at noon Eastern for about eight weeks, with a start date around February 5th. This course will have a cost, I'm thinking of around 150, and of course, you're gonna need a ukulele. I don't recommend buying a cheap instrument, but one in the 80 to $150 range should work great, and I can provide links to the ukuleles that I would recommend. In this course, yes, you learn how to play this compact tropical instrument, how to tune it, how to hold it, all the major and minor chords and strumming patterns. In addition, we're gonna be doing recovery work. For example, in a breakout room, you may be sharing your rock bottom moment, and then learning how to strum a C chord. Stay tuned for more information about this course and go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash events for more information. Okay, let's get started. On April 10th, 2014, I saw Guns N' Roses in La Paz, Bolivia on my 32nd birthday. While traveling South America in the spring of 2014, I was struggling to stay sober. In fact, this is where the idea of sober travel was birthed. Since the concert venue didn't sell alcohol, believe me, I checked everywhere, I looked up at the stars, and from the open-air stadium, I said to myself, yes, today's the day. This is my new sobriety date. I think my birthday and a Guns N' Roses concert is a great way to begin my new AF life. I verbally solidified this to myself while Slash played the solo for November Rain at 13,000 plus feet, and it stuck until I made it to the hostel later that night where two cute girls asked me to go out with them. I did manage to quit drinking later that year on September 7th, 2014. Thank God. When I woke up the next morning, way past the hostel checkout time, I realized my iPhone charger had been stolen. 
Thankfully, my phone was fully charged and the person didn't take the phone. Thus began my search for an iPhone charger in La Paz, Bolivia, which didn't go well since there is no official Apple store or any Walmart or Target at that. I think I went through about five to six knockoff chargers before finding one that did charge my phone, but it took way longer than a normal charger. I remember being in the taxi cab, going from market to market, looking for a charger. I felt like shit. Number one, I was super hungover. And number two, I was filled with shame that I didn't go through with my sobriety date the night before. I remember saying to myself, damn, I wish I could just plug in. It was a strange self-realization, and it sounds common sense, but it sounded so foreign to me at the time when I said it to myself. We, as in human beings, we don't plug in. In a world where nearly everything is refueled or recharged, we continue to be the anomaly with this. Our wholeness and well-being are completely independent of a charger and wall socket. However, we do of course recharge, but it looks different. And again, some of this may be common sense, but to me at the time, it wasn't, and I still have to remind myself to recharge, in the same way that animals recharge. Because don't forget, we are nature. We are animals. We're just animals with names, like Gary, Mindy, Sue, and Javier. Why do we need to recharge? Life in the 21st century moves faster than at any other time. We're expected to reply and reply all the same day, often within the same hour. Never before have we been pulled in so many different directions. In fact, I just read an article that America's work week just got 10% longer. COVID-19 has changed how Americans work and function. The study shows that Americans who work from home are logging in earlier and logging off later. I feel addictions, drinking problems, are adaptive behaviors that manifest in unhealthy, stressful environments, especially when we are running on empty. Drinking problems are representations that we need to hit the pause button and recharge, or plug in. But since we don't plug in, how do we do this? So I want to take the second half of this intro to give you some ideas on how to recharge. But just like every snowflake is different, every human being is different. So this is really up to you on finding how you recharge best. Alright, let's roll. I love bare feet on the earth. It is assumed that the influx of free electrons absorbed into the body through direct contact with the earth likely neutralize free radicals in the body and thereby reduce acute and chronic inflammation. This morning, I drank part of my coffee outside barefoot on the grass. It felt great. Eat live foods at least once a day. These are foods with vibrant colors. Spinach, cucumbers, beets, sweet potatoes. Hang on, I'm white and I don't live in the South, so let me say that line again. Spinach, cucumbers, beets, and sweet potatoes. Using a photon density reader, your energy field can be measured. And what scientists have found that when we eat a bag of potato chips, this energy field or your aura shrinks or contracts. On the contrary, when we eat live wholesome foods, you expand. Okay, listeners, I need to make a confession right now, and I hope I'm not the only one. But every time I read, hear, or say the word photon, I think of that scene and can't hardly wait when that guy's on the roof and he takes out his retainer and goes, fire photons. All right, we're back. And speaking of food, sometimes less is more. There is ample evidence showing that partial breaks to your digestive system gives it a much needed break. For example, I skip breakfast one time a week. Really, this is nothing extreme. Here's a big one, sleep, but on the back end. Give yourself permission to sleep in occasionally without an alarm clock. Let's go from FOMO to JOMO, the joy of missing out. 
If there's a luncheon, concert, or corporate dinner event on your calendar that is causing your anxiety to spike, sit it out. Recharge by not going. For some, recharging comes from kicking your feet up with a good book. For others, it's through movement, dance, or restorative yoga. If you're an extrovert, recharge around people, ideally those on the AF journey who are a positive impact on your life. I do believe you are the average of the five people you hang out with most. If you're an introvert, recharge alone, but add some self-love to this with hot chocolate, maybe a pet friend, and some Kenny G. Oh yeah, and why do all the ladies love Kenny G so much? That's because he's sexy. All right, listeners, I've been waiting five years to include this joke on the podcast, and for most, I apologize. In the Northern Hemisphere, this option is winding down, but I highly recommend recharging in nature. Sure, summiting a mountain can be invigorating, but I recommend relaxing in nature. For example, at least once a week, I take a blanket, a chair, water, headphones, a hat, a book, my ukulele, and my dog, and go somewhere in nature where I won't be disturbed. I love it. Another way to recharge is to do something that gives you joy and is nourishing to the soul. Fly fishing, playing an instrument, painting, or maybe learning a new language. Oh yeah, and let's not forget the old nap. Rest your head as much as you need. It's been quite the journey, and you deserve a break. Now here's something I want you to tell yourself before recharging. Let's take a nap, for example. Before laying down, I want you to tell yourself that you are gifting yourself this time to rest, relax, and recharge because you love yourself. So let's say your name is Tom. This is how it sounds. Tom, I'm gifting you this time of rest and relaxation because I love you. I even recommend saying this out loud. Maybe use the word permission instead of gifting. This would sound like, Tom, I am giving you permission to rest and take a nap because I love you, man. Now this sounds basic, I agree. But for many, including myself, recharging is way out of the comfort zone. Recharging takes practice and is a practice in itself. Now what role does alcohol play with us recharging? If you tell me that alcohol lets you de-stress and unwind after a long day for at least a half an hour, then I would agree with you. However, you're going to pay the price for it the next morning, emotionally and physically. This reminds me of one of the faulty knockoff iPhone chargers that I bought in Bolivia. I kid you not, I found a charger that seemed to charge for a couple minutes. Then it began to suck away the energy of the battery. Visually, I watched it go from 49, 48, 47 at about that speed. And this is exactly what alcohol is doing to us. Now, before we hear from Odette and Carrie, let's hear from Exact Nature. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load on this road to recovery. Whether you're struggling with strong cravings, depression, anxiety, or are having a hard time going to sleep, Exact Nature's products are guaranteed to help you. Learn more at exactnature.com. As a Recovery Elevator listener, use the code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order at checkout. That's RE20 at checkout. Paul, thank you so much for that introduction. And Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Carrie to the show. Carrie, how are you today? Hi, good. Thanks. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much. How are you feeling? Are you nervous, excited? Oh, I don't know. I guess a little bit nervous, also excited. <laughs> a, little, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I'm really happy that you reached out and that we are doing this. So let's get right to it. When was the last time you had a drink, Carrie? 
My last alcoholic drink was January 2nd of this year. And can you give listeners a little bit of a background on yourself? Can you let us know where you're from? How old you are? Do you have a family? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun? Sure. My name's Carrie. I'm a registered dietitian. I'm currently living in the Philadelphia area with my husband and our two cats. I'm a registered dietitian. I work in acute care, so I'm actually providing care to patients who are admitted to the hospital. And then I also have a little bit of a growing side hustle, we'll call it, with my really good friend and fellow registered dietitian, Diana Lacalzi. And that's called The Sober Dietitians. That's our, our blog. And we've also written two books together. Our first book was a mocktail recipe book aimed at pregnant women. It's called Drinking for Two Nutritious Mocktails for the Mom-to-Be. Our most recent release was Mocktail Party. It was a book of 75 plant-based non-alcoholic recipes for every occasion. Mocktail Party is such a beautiful and fun book. Even my daughter the other day, she's seven and she was like looking at it and she's like, this watermelon drink looks so good. I love what you guys are doing, you know, for what you did for moms with that first book and just what you do for us. I feel like one of the biggest perks for me as a sober mom in recovery is being able to share drinks with my kids, you know, because they don't have alcohol in them. Well, thank you so much. It really warms my heart to hear you say that. It's it's fun to be able to, you know, share the drinks with anybody. Um, I think one of the main goals of our books is just to normalize not drinking. So if, if we're helping to achieve that, then that just makes me so happy. Yeah, that's amazing. And I want to get more into how that even started. But first, let's get to your story, Carrie. Can you let us know when you started drinking, what did your relationship with alcohol look like before January 2nd of this year? And when did you realize that alcohol wasn't serving your goals? Sure. So I never drank alcohol until I was in college. I, had, I was very busy in high school between school and I was actually a, a figure skater back in the day. So I, you know, between training and, and academia, I just didn't have time for much of a social life in high school. And when I was in college, that was really my first exposure to alcohol. And I think like a lot of people have experienced during college, you know, I was drinking fairly heavily on the weekends. And then after college, over time, of course, that decreased significantly. And it sort of shifted over time from, you know, partying and going to bars and clubs and, and that kind of style of alcohol consumption to, you know, drinking red wine at the end of a long day and to deal with stress. So, you know, many, many, many years after college, you know, we get to, I guess it was 20, 2018. And I was in the process of becoming a registered dietitian, as was my friend Diana. And we were presented with this opportunity just semi, semi-randomly through a, a a family connection of hers at a publishing company to write this mocktail recipe book for pregnant women. And we had no idea what mocktails were. I wasn't even a cocktail drinker at that point. Like I said, I was drinking a lot of red wine for many reasons, not the least of which is that cocktails tend to be really high in sugar and they just did not make me feel good when I would drink them between the hard liquor and the sugar. 
So that was my first exposure to, to mocktails and the idea of alcohol-free beverages. So Diana and I developed um, almost 50 recipes for this first book, and they were tailored for individuals who are pregnant or trying to become pregnant and wanting to reduce their alcohol intake. So at that time, even though we were writing that book, you know, and I enjoyed drinking the mocktails that we were making, obviously, it never really occurred to me to incorporate them into my lifestyle. So time, time goes on, we published Drinking for Two, and 2020 rolls around. <laughs> it was a pretty, pretty big year for everyone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I guess during the pandemic, during the, the early stages, it was a very stressful time for everybody. And I was in the midst of planning a wedding. My husband and I were moving. It was just, it was a really stressful time. And then you throw COVID on top of all of that. And I, I guess my drinking increased more during that time, not to the point where I was necessarily concerned about it, but it was definitely noticeable. I was drinking every day. I, I was starting to be more mindful of the amount of wine I was pouring myself, I should say. I, I was kind of keeping an eye on my portion sizes, but even though I was doing that, I think it was definitely an increase overall. And then on the weekends, you know, if we would go hang out with other people, you know, I might, you know, in, engage in more alcohol consumption than I, than my body wanted, because I would feel the effects the day after. During that time of like the early pandemic, lots of stress, we're seeing all of this data about how drinking behaviors are changing. People are, you know, sales of alcohol on the internet are going up 200% and people are drinking now more than ever. On, in all the context of that, Diana and I are writing our second book, Mocktail Party. And as we were writing that book, we were starting to do a lot of research on the relationship between alcohol and health. And that was very eye-opening, I think, for both of us. And we really kind of took it to heart. And that I think that was probably where we first started questioning our relationships with alcohol. I know for me, that was when I first started to question my relationship with alcohol. It's kind of, you know, hearing about, you know, the rise in drinking behaviors and my own change in my level of drinking and then seeing the potential effects that alcohol could have on health, even at light to moderate levels. So after my husband and I moved, we both did a month-long alcohol-free challenge, was like, okay, that's nice, you know, we'll quote-unquote detox and reset. Then I went back to drinking, and I would say I was drinking pretty mindfully. Shortly after that, Diana and I decided to do an alcohol-free challenge together for another month. And after that was when we learned about all of the other amazing alcohol-free alternatives that are out there. So all of these companies that are making alcohol-free beers and spirits and wines, because this was the first time we really ever learned about that. So as we were trying these other options and you know, kind of going through this process and evolution and journey with our relationship with alcohol, I think both of us realized that alcohol was having less of a place in our, in our lives. So Diana, at that point, when we completed our, our month on challenge, she stopped drinking entirely. I drank, I consumed alcohol very sporadically after that point. And then my husband and I opened a bottle of champagne on new year's of 2021, didn't finish the bottle and 
the next day, one of my really good friends got engaged and I had a glass to celebrate that. And that was my last drink. At, at that point, I just, I was so aware of the other options that were available and just having learned that I didn't need alcohol to have fun. I could, you know, replace alcohol with these awesome alternatives and still feel like I was included and enjoying myself. And I felt really good physically and mentally. So I was like, you know what? I just don't need it anymore. So that's, that's when I stopped drinking. Wow. (laughs) I I really like this story because it's almost not opposite, but so different from many people who come on here to share their stories. And, you know, I'm just curious straight out of the gate, those myths that many of us end up debunking in sobriety, like you're still included, there's still plenty of other options. Uh, It's okay not to drink, like all of these things that are hard to actually live out once you initially get sober, that you were living out as well. That's one thing. But in terms of the feelings that come with having a drink or two, was that feeling something that was just not part of your story, like chasing the buzz or feeling tipsy, that part of the equation, what role does it have in in your journey? Yeah, I I think over time, I I don't know that I ever really enjoyed being intoxicated, maybe on some level, you know, it, it sort of felt like that's how in certain settings, I felt like how you were supposed to feel you know, like you were supposed to kind of achieve a certain level. Everybody else is doing it around you. You want to fit in. It makes you, you you think it's making you more fun and more free and, you know, may relieve some social anxiety. But I think over time, as I started to, I mean, in a very limited capacity, because we were so sheltered last year, but as I started to engage with other people in social settings and not drink alcohol, and then be able to come home, go to sleep, and then wake up feeling well-rested and be extremely productive the next day. I was like, wow, I really don't like that feeling of being intoxicated and out of control. And the, the feelings that I get the following day of being hungover and you know not being able to be productive. And I don't know, especially this past couple of years, I've my life's gotten so much more busy. And I'm like, I don't even know how I could do it if I was feeling hung over the next day. And it was getting to the point where even, you know, one to two glasses of wine would make me feel not so great the next day. And it's like, it's not worth it for me to, to keep drinking if I'm not going to be able to be as productive as I want to and be as energetic as I want to. Yeah. I don't know if you've connected or heard the interview that we had with one of the founders of Groovy, Mm -hmm. Monica. Uh, she has a very similar story, you know, where you start weighing out the cons and you start realizing how it's truly just dimming your potential. You know, you can do Mm -hmm. so much more when you're sober, your body's working differently, your mind's working differently. And for her, that was, that's been a huge driving force in her journey and also in growing Get Groovy, which are these delicious drinks that we all love over here at Recovery Elevator, but it's it's very similar thought process. And it even reminds me of that book by Annie Grace, where mm-hmm. she talks about alcohol so scientifically, where you understand like what the substance is, what it's doing to your body, and all of these real facts that we don't really get exposed to with regular marketing, because marketing is just selling the dream of like, you will belong, you will be cool if you drink this, you will have friends, you know, so it's a totally different 
type of research when you go in and and really want to figure out what alcohol does to the mind, to the body, whether you're an alcoholic, an addict or not, but what it does to anyone's body. It's pretty crazy once you start getting into the facts. Definitely, definitely. It definitely, it's, it feels so eye-opening to kind of be on the other side of this journey. And then you just see how prevalent those messages are, you know, how frequent those the commercials for these alcoholic beverages are and you know just like how damaging the the imaging and how things are presented can be and and how much alcohol is prevalent in just tv shows and movies i, I remember i was watching i think it was I, I don't remember what tv show it was exactly but it was some sort of a sitcom and I don't, it was hard to find a scene where somebody wasn't holding on to a glass of wine or some sort of a drink or cracking a joke about how much somebody drinks. And it's like, wow, you know, how do, how do we get to this point where these problematic drinking behaviors and this heavy drinking is just so normalized? And if you don't engage in that, you are the odd man out mm-hmm. or you're a prude or something. Yeah. Someone said the other day to me, like, if someone showed up with cocaine at a party and you said, no, I don't want any, they just move on to the next person. But strangely, (laughs) with alcohol, it's like, if you say no, it's like, why not? Come on, just a little bit, just one. I mean, I'm not saying this happens at every party with everyone, but it does tend to have such a strange response for some people, because like you said, it is so normalized that the people that decide to not do it often tend to have questions like, oh, did something happen? Are you pregnant? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, like there has to be a reason why versus just like, I don't want to. Right. Yeah. There has to be some sort of a justification and it, it shouldn't be that way. You know, there shouldn't, it should be no questions asked. And you know what, even if somebody, you know, does have a, a quote unquote problem, what, what difference does that make? I don't know. No, no is no. Yeah, I like this conversation because it does talk a little bit more on just society and how these deep rooted narratives are just part of where we live and and part of our culture. So it's very interesting and exciting to me that these conversations are being had more and more because we definitely need it. And it's, it's important to be informed and to know what it is we're doing to our bodies. I mean, we only get to live in this body once and, and a lot of us are trying to take care of it. A lot of people who drink normally, who drink red wine with dinner, like they actually don't know how bad it is. They actually think it's good for them or full, mm-hmm. a, full of antioxidants or whatever, you know? So it's it's important. This whole informative education piece is important. And I think it needs to be talked about more. Carrie, I know you are married, recently married, and you were in a relationship as you were kind of navigating all of these changes and discoveries with alcohol. If you don't mind me asking, like, is your husband drink what did he think about all this did it affect your guys's relationship as you made these changes yeah i was very fortunate that not not just my husband but my my family members and all my friends are are very supportive of you know my choice to decrease my alcohol intake and go alcohol free a lot of people kind of hopped on the bandwagon with me my husband is all about trying all of the the alcohol free alternatives especially the alcohol free beers I think he really enjoys them and he'll definitely, you know, drink them frequently. So it's, it's, it's been fun to kind of go on this sober curious journey together. And I think it's affected both of our relationships with alcohol. And then even my other friends and family, I think it kind of gives them pause and, you know, they're enjoying trying these alternatives and exploring their relationship with alcohol, which just it's an eye opening experience for everyone. And it's, I, I feel very, very fortunate that 
everybody has been supportive. And I, I haven't really gotten those questions of like, why are you doing this? You know, what was going on that prompted you to do this? Everybody just sort of accepted what I was doing and, you know, was very supportive. And like I said, if anything, wanted to, to join in and <laughs> see what the fun was all about. Um, but I know that's not everybody's experience. Yeah, it's different for everyone. And I think it's important to surround ourselves by people that are encouraging and supporting our decision and then to set boundaries perhaps around people that are, you know, making us doubt ourselves yes. or not supporting us. I think it's up to us to to do that. And I am curious because you are more sober curious than like I had to stop drinking. Mm -hmm. Even though you know all of these facts about alcohol and even though you have a new lens and a new perspective do you sometimes still like romanticize drinking or think of like oh i'm just not drinking for now what's your stance because i think that a lot of us know alcohol isn't good for us and i we know all these facts we are consciously aware of them but then there's still some moments where a drink sounds really good and i feel like it's the same thing with uh, maybe foods that you consider junk or sugar, like things that you know that aren't good for you, but you still want to do them anyways. Do you have any of those thoughts around alcohol? Oh, definitely. And it's it's definitely not a walk in the park for me either. You know, there, there's there's been times where I've been surrounded by people who will open a bottle of of red wine, and you know, it's I, there are some red wine alternatives out there that I've I've tried. I, I would say I'm still on the hunt for one that really, you know, kind of makes my heart flutter. <laughs> I don't know that I found one I'm in love with yet. So I, I definitely miss something like red wine. We're going into the fall season and I would just love to have an alternative for pumpkin beer because I, I used to really love drinking pumpkin beers. I do know that there's a company called Two Roots Brewing that's doing an Oktoberfest, so I'm going to have to get my hands on that in the meantime. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think about going back to alcohol again you know, I, I, because I'm coming from a different place and I, I do identify as being sober curious, you know, I, I, I feel confident that if I were to drink again, I would be able to continue with mostly being alcohol free. If I wanted to have a drink at one point, you know, I would be able to have a drink, enjoy it, and then move on from it. And I know that's not how everybody's story is. So again, it's it's a very different experience. Do I think I'll do that? I, I'm honestly not sure. Temptation is definitely there. I will say I when I went alcohol-free in January, I, I was 100% sure in January that I was not going to get through my wedding, excuse me, get through my wedding alcohol-free. I was very confident that I was going to drink at my wedding. I was like, I'm sure I'll be able to do it up until then, but I'm going to want to drink some champagne at my own wedding. But I, I didn't, I was completely alcohol free at my wedding. And that was, it was so easy for me. And that was very surprising. So my current plan is to stay alcohol free. And like I said, if, if I feel like I wanted to have a drink, maybe I would do that. But I, I don't, I think my relationship with alcohol has changed forever. I don't think it would be a part of my daily routine or my weekly routine. It would be extremely sporadic if I were to reincorporate alcohol. Yeah. Even if you were to drink again, because I mean, there's my husband and I keep having this conversation. I haven't, it's, it's hard to explain it sometimes when you're on the air because you want to make sure people don't take it the wrong way. But I feel mm -hmm. like 
this whole day, like clock timer and how many days you have, it's so important. You know, I'm someone who hasn't had a drink in almost a thousand days. I so understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. But also if you drink again and then, like you said, then decide that I'm just going to get back on the wagon of not drinking. Like it's almost like you made the decision. And for so many people, it requires getting off the wagon and back on the wagon. And some people can't do that. It's just just such a, such a wide spectrum. But I think that for me, no matter what, just going back to the decision matters so much more than how many days compounded, you know, we have people in a recovery groups that are, you know, I didn't drink for 340 days of last year. I'm like, that's literally almost all of the year. You know, like I sometimes think we need to focus on the wins and having this metric where like the day counter is what matters most. Part of me a hundred percent agrees because some people get off the horse and then they don't come back on. But there's this other part that also gives understanding and grace to like, is that really what matters most? Or are there so many other parts of the journey, like you said, where you've just reevaluated your relationship with alcohol in a way that has nothing to do with whether or not you have a drink again in your life or not. I don't know if mm-hmm. I explained it, but yeah, it, it's well, exactly I mean, it's what you're not saying. Measuring like, your worth by, you know, having one alcoholic beverage or something. Is that kind of along the lines of what you're saying? Yeah. It, it, not measuring your worth and also understanding that now, even if you drink again, I know because I did have moments where I went back out. This is my longest streak, but I had moments where I went back out. Even when I was drinking, I already knew so much, like exactly you, that it it wasn't even enjoyable anymore. I will never be able to be the way that I was because I've already mm-hmm. ruined it for myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's in a sense, it's like there's when you get to that point, there's no going back. Exactly. There's no going back and and knowing yourself in a deeper way and having that self-awareness, evolution, openness to seeing things differently. I think that's the key and the win, you know, like being able to be like, oh, I learned all this information and now I see things differently. What am I going to do about it? That's powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Have you and your husband thought about doing like, do you get people curious because you have a book like do people tend to be more curious and have you considered doing like future projects or you and Diane like what's the game plan with mocktails and mocktail parties oh yeah I mean I think people are are super interested in in what we're doing I I love talking to people about you know my my journey and just everything I've learned about alcohol-free living and all of the options that are out there especially, I guess the best example, because it's the biggest social event I've I've been to since COVID happened, (laughs) was at my wedding. Um, And I served non-alcoholic beverages, including a signature mocktail. It wasn't one of our recipes, but it was made with the the Liars um, Italian spritz and the Naughty AF sparkling Chardonnay. So it was a little alcohol-free um, Aperol spritz. It was delicious. So everybody was, you know, really interested that we were serving those non-alcoholic options because obviously it's not commonplace for those things to be available at weddings. Um, and, you know, they were interested by the fact that I wasn't drinking alcohol, And but they, everybody enjoyed trying what we had available. They were asking me questions about where to buy these products. And, you know, a, a lot of people already knew what I was doing and why I was doing it, but it was just really fun to be able to show people that you could, you know, include some of these options no matter who you are and what your relationship is with alcohol and, and enjoy them. 
As far as future projects, Diane and I are just really working on building the Sober Dietitians brand. I think we're still trying to figure out what direction we're going in, but, you know, we're really here to stay as far as, you know, our sober curious journey and our alcohol-free journey and just continuing to learn both personally and professionally and exploring new products. So we'll, we'll kind of see where things take us. We're hoping to get more invested in and blogging and, you know, just have to stay tuned to see, see where we go with things. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, in terms of like you guys doing the research of what alcohol does to you and when you guys were writing Mocktail Party and learning so much, can you recall like a fact or two that really shook you or, or really felt eye-opening to you when you were learning new things about alcohol? Definitely. I think one of the most eye-opening factors for me, which personally became very relevant to me last year, was the the fact that more and more evidence is suggesting that even small amounts of alcohol increases your risk of cancer. Mm. And I, I was not aware prior to, I think prior to when we were doing the research for mocktail party, that alcohol, or the ethanol, I should say, which is the, the compound that is alcohol, um, in alcoholic beverages, that is a carcinogen, you know, I, and I, you know, I've thought about it before because I actually used to do back before I became a registered dietitian when I was in undergraduate. And then I actually got a graduate degree in neuroscience. I worked in a research lab for six years studying fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. So that was my, really my first introduction to the field of alcohol, um, alcohol use and alcohol abuse. And it was a very kind of narrow lens, but I was looking at the effects of how alcohol exposure during pregnancy could affect a developing child's brain. So I, I mean, I knew obviously that alcohol has negative effects, but usually you think about it in terms of the, the excess. And I, I, even, even then I, I knew during pregnancy, there's been studies that show that there's no safe amount or time of alcohol exposure for, for a developing child in pregnancy. So that's why women are recommended to not consume alcohol. And I, I knew that, but it's even then it didn't occur to me that like for me, maybe even like to moderate amounts of alcohol could have negative ramifications, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. It just, just, it just didn't quite translate. It's like I was aware, but it, it didn't internalize to myself. Not in, it wasn't really until this past year when things really became more apparent. But yeah, the, the connection with cancer and there's just been more and more studies and I think they're getting, you know, some wide attention. There was one about, you know, even small amounts of alcohol impacting brain health that came out relatively recently. Another thing that was interesting to me is you mentioned before that a lot of people talk about red wine and how it's beneficial for heart health. And just getting into the nuances of the data on, you know, the fact that we don't really even know the level of antioxidants in the red wine. And then also like, depending on the level of the antioxidants and a lot of other factors, how many of those antioxidants are actually, how many of them get into the body and then how many of them are actually active in the body. So like, can, can you really have the level of antioxidant effect that you're expecting from some of these like preclinical studies to translate to human studies. You know, I, I just think that the data is not there. And we're talking about these antioxidants as if we know that they're going to be beneficial for health. And we don't really know, I would say, 
based on the data that we have, if the level of antioxidants in red wine really translates to a beneficial effect in humans, and if that kind of mediates those effects, or if there's other things going on. So it's, it's just kind of interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I think it is a very natural human tendency to not be able to link things that can happen with things that can happen to me. I think in terms of even like car accidents or I don't know, I feel like we always think it's not going to be us. And it's just a way that we are. I don't know if listeners or you can relate or agree, but it's it's hard for things to hit home and to scale it in a way where you can directly see that it can affect you. Usually it takes something bad happening, which is the sad thing about addiction. You know, it's not until something bad happens or you lose something that people decide to make changes, not just with alcohol. I think it's just with with anything. So mm -hmm. that's why I think it's important to get this information out there. You know, nowadays people do care more about their health and about preventative measures. And, you know, wellness is a thing. It's a mainstream concept now. And I think the struggle that a lot of us who are on this side is seeing how alcohol is almost being intertwined with well-being when it, it yes. doesn't fit there like let's just call it what it is just yes. like just like we do with sugar or other things that we already know are bad for us let's just call it what it is instead of trying to like put this mask on it which is i think where a lot of the discontent from people working towards you know sobriety movements and sober curious move movements that's the like the maddening thing of it all definitely and i can I think it's been really interesting as a health professional to see how other health professionals kind of approach the topic of alcohol consumption. And I can say that I have definitely seen other people, you know, talking about alcohol really through the lens of like, oh, you can, you can drink and still lose weight. So they're approaching it at kind of as if it's a food item. You know, you can incorporate this food item because it, it does provide calories, but you can you can still have something like that and lose weight or, you know, meet your health goals. When they're talking about that, they don't talk about the health risks associated with alcohol intake, and they don't also provide information about what's a standard drink size and, you know, how does that compare to what people are typically drinking? And, you know, what is, what's the definition of moderate alcohol intake? And that, that even may have health risks. So like people aren't, I don't know if it's like a fear of going there because again, alcohol is so normalized in our culture that, you know, people, if you're talking about it that way, they may get defensive, you know, they, they just may not want to hear it. They may think you're being, again, you know, again, they think you're being a Debbie Downer or like, oh, you know, do they have a problem with alcohol? Like, why are they telling me that I can't drink, you know, why are you telling me what to do? But I think we need to present those health risks. And it's, it's not about demonizing alcohol. It's just about giving people the information that's available so that they can make an informed choice. Because I think like we were talking about before, people don't necessarily know the risks and they don't understand that, you know, alcohol is a toxin in our body. You know, we drink alcohol and our body wants to get rid of it as soon as possible and it prioritizes the metabolism of alcohol above all of the things because it just wants to get it out of your body before it does any damage. You know, people have the right and should be able to understand that and then decide what level of alcohol they want to include in their lives and that that truly does align with their health goals. Yeah. 
we can only be an advocate for ourselves when we have the right information in front of us. So this is, this is important. I'm, I'm really happy that it wasn't, you know, I hadn't talked to you outside of social media and I'm really happy that it wasn't just about putting together a beautiful mocktail book, but it was also about this part of it. You know, it's not something that that's, that's on the book, but it's that choice of making that research and being educated and informed yourself, you know, that has such huge impact and we will, continue to need people like you I think in the future because the conversations are being had so thank you I mean this is all this is all amazing I feel like we could talk about it for a while and I want to know since you've kind of put yourself through this experiment as you've been learning and developing new things and creating this new brand what is like an unexpected perk of this journey other than what you already knew and the health implications and more energy more focus what is something kind of that you weren't expecting that having an alcohol-free life would give you? Wow. I don't, I guess a lot of things. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just the connections that I've made with people on social media. I mean, I think especially lately, social media can be very toxic in a lot of ways, but I've actually found that the Sober and Sober Curious community has just been so wonderful to connect with. I've met some really amazing people and it's, it's just shown me a good side of social media that I thought was like not really existing anymore. And it's been wonderful to have that support. I, again, I have, I'm very fortunate to have my you know, immediate family and friends be extremely supportive of my decision to not drink alcohol, but also connecting with people who have all different kinds of stories and backgrounds and just hearing about their journeys and, and what they're doing to you know, advocate for you know, getting information about there and getting people any sort of help that they need. I just, it's just so fun to listen to. And I could just, I love engaging with the alcohol-free community on social media. And then the other or unexpected benefit, I should say, of being alcohol-free is just, I feel like the, if anything, it's not like a door was closed to me when I decided I wasn't going to drink alcoholic beverages. It's more like an entire universe of alcohol-free beverages was opened up to me. There's just, there's so many options. And I know that wasn't true maybe even five years ago. So I feel extremely fortunate that those options are available um, and then of course, you know, Diana and I have all of our, you know, the recipes that we've come up with. So I have all that in my back pocket and that knowledge that I can make drinks whenever I want to, or for any occasion, but just all of the, the beers and the, the wines and the spirits. I mean, there's just, there's so many options. I mean, I, I, there's new po options popping up every day. It's just so exciting to me. I, I, I like to look at the positives instead of the negative of like, oh, this is what I've given up. It's more like, look at how much I've gained. It's just, it's really cool. I love that you said that, you know, one of the things that we love mentioning on this podcast is it, it it's hard to think about it, especially when you're just entering this chapter, but it's not a sacrifice. It's an opportunity. You can add a lot of things. You can gain a lot uh, by taking away something that isn't really giving you anything. Um, I always like saying, of course, it's not that easy. I think that for a lot of people, there's a grieving process and you have to let go of a lot of things that maybe you don't want to let go of and like you do have to build new and that is sometimes hard and scary but there is a lot of amazing love hope support experiences there is a lot waiting on the other side and I think that just I just hope that people believe that you know and know that and then you have to kind of live 
through it. But I, I love what you're sharing and that you've been connecting with other people and that you're so open. I feel like there needs to be a level of openness to just, oh, I'm just going to dig in and learn about alcohol. And is that is that just like a trait in your personality? I feel like a lot of us are set in our ways. It's hard to change your mind. It's hard to be open. Is this just how you are about other things in the world as well? I mean, I would like to think I'm pretty open-minded <laughs> um, and like pretty open to kind of self-exploration. I don't know. I, I, I never, I don't know that I've ever gone on a journey like this or sort of had this like reckoning with something that is so, so big and kind of going counter to that. So maybe, I, I don't know, maybe it's not necessarily a trait, but I mean, the, the way that it, it kind of started for me was more so from something that is definitely along the lines of my personality, which is like the scientific, you know, wanting to do research and kind of know mm -hmm. everything about what's going on. So that, that sort of set the spark in my brain and kind of alerted me to the fact that maybe there was something that I could change and then everything else sort of fell into place. I don't know. Everything that's happened to me in the past, I don't know, two to three years, as far as, you know, drinking and these opportunities that Diana and I have had with the books has just been so serendipitous. And it's like, it's never, nothing in my life has ever made me believe more in like the everything happens for a reason mentality. And it's just, I, I feel extremely fortunate. Oh, I love that. I love that. Since you are, like I, like we've said before, more on the sober curious side, and this was more of an active lifestyle change, we all have stressors. You even said it yourself, like last year was hard. It continues to be hard. Lots of change. You've had a lot going on. How do you deal with change? Like, what are your tools for navigating things when you need a relief or when you feel like you want to numb out, which is the main reason for many people as to why they turn to the drink? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And I, I, one of my biggest flaws is I don't always handle change very well. And I can, I can get very stressed in those situations. I guess lately, I, I'll be honest, when I've been dealing with stress, I have turned to trashy reality television as my escape. <laughs> so that's that's what I've been enjoying. I'll have, you know, like an alcohol-free drink and some chocolate and watch some reality TV and just kind of zone out and turn my brain off. And that's been very relaxing for me. I appreciate your honesty. No, I, I mean, I know I can laugh about it too, but I appreciate your honesty. I feel like we need to normalize this. Um, I talk about Glennon Doyle often. I just love her so much. I feel like mm. I relate on her, relate with her on so many levels. And I think in one of her recent podcasts, she was going through sh some stuff and she's saying, of course, part of what I do is teaching people to stay with themselves, but I just need to be honest. Like we're not perfect. And she said something along the lines of, I got a king size tub of red vines at Costco and I've just <laughs> been eating my feelings. Uh, I think she was going through some changes as well with whenever son's going to college. And mm -hmm. I, I want to continue to remind people that we are humans and that it's okay. And that knowing things doesn't mean you're going to be doing them all the time. And that sometimes you do need that coping mechanism. I shared a social media Instagram story the other day where I had a ton of candy, like Halloween, small candy wrappers on my nightstand from a night before. And I woke up and I was going to clean them out and throw them in the trash. Like nobody has to know about this. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to share this because this is what my night's 
sometimes look like. And I'm not going to pretend otherwise. You know, I feel like that being able to have it together and being able to be perfect at this alcohol free thing is what many times keeps people from even trying because Mm -hmm. they think it needs to look a certain way or be a certain way. And it's messy sometimes. And I, I appreciate your candid response and just sharing what many of us do, including myself, which is chocolate and vegging out to some TV. It's completely (laughs) normal. And we all need something in the type of world that we're living in right now. Oh, especially now more than ever. I mean, especially because for me at the hospital, things are just so stressful and just so heavy. And then you listen to the news and it's just so, everything's just so heavy. Everything Mm -hmm. feels heavier lately. So sometimes you just need to escape. And, you know, obviously I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a therapist, so I don't, I can't comment on, you know, what's, what's healthy or not, quote unquote, as far as that's concerned. But, you know, if, if escaping is working for me, I will, I'm going to continue to do it because it's, it helps me relieve stress. So (laughs) yeah, I'm not, (laughs) maybe I can get myself to go for a walk every once in a while. So maybe that's a better way to manage my stress, but right now I'm just doing what I need to, to survive. A hundred percent. I'm not an expert either. It's a good disclaimer. You know, I tell people who listen in, like, don't put any of us on a pedestal. We're on this journey with you. And um, I'm not an expert, but when I did go to treatment, when I was in rehab, one of the biggest things that were prescribed, especially at the beginning, was distraction. You know, and that's what Mm -hmm. TV, social media and all of these things are. Distraction is a way to cope and it is not bad to use it sometimes. So yeah, thanks for that. I know we all we all get stressed. There's a lot going on and it's important to be honest about how we cope. We can't always just turn a meditation on and become Buddha. It would be amazing. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> Yeah, no, and that's that's so interesting that you, you said that distraction was actually thought to be beneficial. I can I can completely understand why I going back to something you said earlier that I think was just so spot on that there's there's no one right way to go alcohol free or to have an alcohol free journey. It's a journey. And I think using that word is so powerful and says so much, but that also means it's going to be highly individual and to kind of compare that and like the idea of, you know, perfection being unattainable when you're going through recovery or if you're trying to refine your relationship with alcohol, you know, comparing that to something that I know well, which is nutrition, that's, you know, we hear the phrase like diets don't work. And I think that's, that's so true. And it's, it's kind of the same thing where, you know, a diet is, has rules and it's very regimented and, you know, maybe you can follow it for a certain period of time, but it can, sometimes people can't even start because it's just so overwhelming because it's just, it's, so drastic or if, you know, if they can do it, they can only do it for a certain amount of time and then it becomes unattainable and unsustainable. So then they'll fall off of it. So I can, I can completely relate to that. You know, there's, there is no perfection either. You know, everybody's diet and everybody's alcohol-free journey can and should look different. A hundred percent. Thank you, Carrie. And we have reached the rapid fire round. So if you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? Okay. We'll try to do that. (laughs) Okay. What would you say to your younger self? Oh, just be open. I know you're a dietitian, but what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate chip. What are some of your favorite resources for people who are sober curious? Social media and then Quitlet. I've really been enjoying reading, but quit like a woman. Mm, yes. I love Holly. 
And mm-hmm. what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze, but they're not so sure? Again, just ditch the idea that there's a right way to do alcohol-free and you're, you're on your journey and just keep your, keep your blinders on and do what serves you. Thank you so much, Carrie. I'm going to make sure to add all of the links to the book and your guys' Instagram in the show notes. I'm going to have Liz do that. So thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you and we'll be in touch. Thanks so much for having me on. It was really great talking with you. Great talking with you. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Bye. Very well, Timari. That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to remind you to not beat yourself up. You know, I feel like when I started hosting this show, I really wanted to talk about relapse because it had happened to me and I learned a lot from going back and drinking again. And I knew that I wasn't alone. I knew that this had had to happen to many other people. And right now, I have been sober for almost three years. It'll be three years in December. And I've noticed that I'm beating myself up a little bit more I noticed that with added time of consistent sobriety, I've added this layer of expectation that self-imposed where I think I should be feeling a certain way according to this amount of time. I should be having no cravings. I should be managing my emotions better. I should be not eating 35 Twix before bed every night. I should be sitting down like the Buddha and meditating if I get triggered. And then (laughs) I find myself being messy and not meeting these self-imposed expectations of what my recovery should look like at this point of my journey. And I really want to talk about that because I can't be the only one struggling with this. And I need this reminder right now on a daily basis. Don't beat yourself up. You are doing it. You're still part of the no matter what club, no matter what you're not drinking. And whatever tool you are using to not drink is the tool that is working for you at that moment, even though that may not be the tool that ideally you would like to be using. So don't beat yourself up. You know, I feel like I need a little bit more of these pep talks right now. And I wanted to share just in case anyone else out here is feeling similarly. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery elevator. It all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. How do you know this is the experience you need? Because this is the experience you're having at this moment. In the seeing of who you are not,
normal everyday usage, I embodies the primordial error, a misperception of who you are, an illusory sense of identity. This is the ego.